Kia everyone, hello and welcome to another episode of the Smith & Hesson podcast. I'm Laura McGoldrick, plenty to unpack for you on today's episode. Joining me on the show, of course, is Mike Hesson and Ian Smith. G'day gentlemen, how are we tonight? Very good, thanks Laura. Very good. Yeah, outstanding, Laura. Outstanding. I love to hear it. I love the enthusiasm. And there's plenty of enthusiasm around New Zealand cricket at the moment, given the Masters Agreement was announced this week, and it's looking really good for female cricketers in this country. Uh, we're seeing pay equity, so they will be paid at domestic and international level the same as what the men are being paid. Um, here's when I, when I look at this and I think about the magnitude of what this means, not just necessarily for cricket, but for women's sport in general in this country, it, it really is momentous what they've done here. It's a fanta fantastic opportunity for young female cricketers in this country to really put all their eggs into this basket, which is, of course, cricket, for a change now. Yeah, look, I mean, it's admirable from New Zealand cricket's perspective and, and it certainly shows a seriousness to develop the women's game. And the fact that it's been locked in for five years shows that uh, they're committed to, to trying to find a way uh, to generate income from the women's game as well. And I, and I think that's the challenge that New Zealand cricket is going to face. Um, it's about, you know, it's still a, a strand of the business. And at the moment, um, the women's game is, is a cost to New Zealand cricket. And they're going to have to find a way to change that. And that's going to take time. And I think the fact that they've locked it in for five years understands that, that it's not going to happen overnight, um, but they are going to have to find revenue streams to try and balance off those extra costs. Um, and I think that the the upside of it from a cricket point of view, as you said, is that if, if there are talented female athletes in New Zealand and they're choosing between sports, they can certainly look at this and go, look, I could be pretty much the highest paid um, sportswoman in New Zealand if I choose cricket. And that's that's a pretty exciting time for the game in New Zealand. But as I said, the downside of that, from a New Zealand cricket point of view, is trying to find a way to, to generate some revenue. Smithy, I was speaking to Frances Mackay today, um, and she was saying she was surprised to see this happen in her lifetime, that now young women can come out of school and really, truly look at cricket as a career. They don't have to get a job as a, as a librarian like she has or, or a police officer as well. This is It can be full-time cricket. How do you feel about it? You've watched cricket go through lots of changes in this country. What does it mean, do you think, to you? Well, for me, it's a, an historic day. Um, it, it certainly is. I, I wouldn't, I'm a bit like Frankie. I, I couldn't imagine that I'd be in my lifetime, actually, um, be looking at the fact that uh, when a, a female cricketer goes to work to play a one-day international, she will get the same money as a, a male cricketer. I didn't think that would happen for a long time. So it's a, it's a big step, and it's quite a forward step in that regard. Um, you know, I think it's also come on the back of the perceived success of the Cricket World Cup in this country, and it was uh, successful, not from us from a playing point of view, but in terms of the profile of uh, women's cricket, it was immense. And uh, I think it's also a reflection of, <coughs> of where Australia are at. Um, I, I'm not quite privy to Australia's pay levels, but I would imagine that they're uh, probably still in advance of what the New Zealand girls are about to get. Um, but uh, I think it's trying to bring everything into line um, w with uh, the, the way things are going. There'll be uh, interesting thoughts going into this process as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if even uh, the Minister of Sport, uh, Mr Robertson, uh, who was pushing the fact during the latter stages of the World Cup after New Zealand had been knocked out, he was pushing for more uh, equity. He was pushing for more resource to go into the game so the players would feel comfortable playing the game and feel comfortable making that commitment. So I can see how it's all come together. Uh, what it does do, though, um, from um, a, a 
perspective of playing, it puts more pressure on because if you are getting remunerated a lot more than you were uh, today than yesterday, uh, there's going to be more asked of you today and more expected of you today. So a lot of pressure uh, now that they've got what they want in terms of uh, the financial side of it. Uh, they're going to have to be a lot more, I think, committed, a lot more professional than even they have been in the past. So, And, and uh, they're going to uh, have results demanded of them and good results. You're absolutely right. The Commonwealth Games just around the corner, um, only a few weeks away. So looking forward to seeing what the White Ferns can do over there. Leah Tahuhu, a late call up into that. Jess Kerr is out with a foot injury. Lauren Downs also um, is being rested, so won't be playing in that. So good luck to the White Ferns. Can't wait to see how they and, get on. Laura, can I just add something, Laura, yes, before please. we finish there? Just from, from my point of view, uh, you know, we know what the fallout was at the end of the selection of uh, the contracted players. Uh, Leah Tahu, who was not part of that, but she chose to continue to play cricket. Amy Satterthwaite, her wife, uh, did decide to retire from international cricket because she couldn't see a future. I just wonder now if she was uh, interested or still available to play international cricket, whether the new coach, Ben Sawyer, would have wanted Amy Satterthwaite in his team to go to the Commonwealth Games or a new player. I'd say he'd want Amy Satterthwaite, and I'll finish at that. Hess, is there anything you'd like to add to that? It's a good point Smithy makes. Well, I think the other part of that is that, that Amy could indeed make more money um, playing in the Commonwealth Games through match fees than she potentially has in the last 12 months. So that might be something that, that she might want to rethink. And, and I'm sure Ben Sawyer as a coach, who always wants the best team on the park um, and always wants mm -hmm. to, to win games and start well, um, whether he'll be getting on the phone and just having a, a quiet word in their ear because... Yeah, I would agree. Um, Amy Sathwaite would certainly be a, a pretty clear replacement to fill that role of Lauren Down. Absolutely. be interesting to see what happens there. Keep watch because we have all of the uh, Commonwealth Games live here on Sky Sport. Now let's talk about what happened over in England. Uh, the Black Caps very unsuccessful tour. And I, I, I say that because they lost 3-0. It's as simple as that. Um, they just weren't good enough. And they got themselves into positions, but they never, ever, I felt like, got themselves in front. There was never a point in any of those test matches where they got ahead of England. Uh, Smithy, what was your take on the whole series for the Black Cats? Well, I, I was part of the commentary team that did the uh, debacle in Australia when we lost 3-0 there. The big difference between there and losing to England 3-0 uh, is the fact that uh, we were never in the test matches in Australia. Right from uh, day one, really, we were out of it, and we were chasing the game right from the start. Here, at least, we got ourselves into uh, positions of superiority, equality, uh, and let them go. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to sum it up. And, and they all fo uh, have followed a very similar pattern. Uh, and and I take my hat off to England, the way they played and the positive attitude that they played. But to be fair, I think we let them to a large degree as well. And we were, uh, they, were, they tried to be the dominant force uh, in the competition. Uh, we were very much the recessive sit-back one as has been our way. But quite clearly, that wasn't, um, uh, wasn't the approach that was required at the time. We, we, ran, out of, um, we ran out of puff, I think. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. Because uh, when it came to the fourth innings, when we were bowling each time and trying to defend or bowl side, bowl England out, uh, we didn't have the punch. We got them three or four down, and we just did not have the killer blow. And it, that followed exactly the same pattern. Now, there's a number of reasons why, because I, I think the, the, the killer punch bowlers are having to do too much donkey work throughout the test match because they didn't have um, an effective enough bowling attack. The, the balance of their bowling attack was wrong. And the last one was probably the worst of the lot, Laura. 
Um, how you pick only three bowlers, three proven bowlers to go into a test match, a five-day test match, and expect to be firing on all cylinders in the fifth afternoon, I do not know. And that was the case. You cannot count Michael Bracewell as a genuine test bowler. Uh, he's a part-timer at very best. He got belted all around the park, and they had three bowlers at their disposal, Bolt, Southey, and Wagner. Couldn't bowl England out twice doing that, right from the go. Yeah, I actually felt a bit sorry for the bowlers, to be fair, on this trip. I felt like they were left with, like you say, the brunt of the work, and it was it was tough, tough work. England just never let their foot off the gas. Hess, how would you break down this Test series? Well, I'll carry on that discussion. I, to be fair, the, the third Test, um, the selection for me was baffling, and that's sort of the word I've, I've, I've come up with because it just didn't make any sense. And I think the, the previous two tests when Wagner was left out, um, you know, selection is always a contentious issue. And people will all have slightly different views, whether it's a, a Matt Henry or a, or a DeGroenholm or a Wagner or whatever. But it became really clear during the series that the fourth innings was the one that dictated the outcome of the game. You know, England, the first two, 279 for three, 293 for three. So the wickets weren't deteriorating hugely. Um, they did take a little bit of turn. Certainly the, the last test match did. Um, so clearly we're okay when the ball swings. We know Bolt and Southey, we've, we've got that well covered when there's movement on the ball. When we get the four things of a test match, that's when Neil Wagner is at his best. And he, he came in for the third test, which was great, but he hadn't bowled in a competitive game for a month. So regardless of how much net bowling you're doing or whatever, you, you are going to be underdone. So therefore you need help. So to have three seamers and only three bowlers in a test match that you, you want to win makes no sense at all. Um, and the fact that we stacked our batting, you know, Mitchell and Blundell, who were so good at five and six, all of a sudden now needed to bat at six and seven. And, and I could understand Michael Bracewell filling in Colin de Groenholm's role at seven and being that fifth bowler. I completely understand that. And, and because... As Smithy's alluded to, he's very much a part-time bowler. He, he is a, a good cricketer. Um, he's a he's primarily a batsman who bowls a bit. And for him to be classed as the fourth bowler in a test match attack where you're playing against a high-quality side is actually unfair. And it did put him in a really difficult situation. If he was the fifth bowler and you still had either an Ajaz Patel, which I think was the most likely on that surface, um, even before Jack Leach got his 10 wickets, it made perfect sense to play a, a frontline spinner who could bowl in, in all five days of the test match, um, if and when required. So to not pick Ajaz and then pick another batsman, um, which was Henry Nichols, to replace him, made, well, I mean, Kane Williamson came in, but the rest stayed the same, made no sense to me, um, especially when you've got to take 20 wickets. And it actually put a whole lot more pressure on Bolton Southey, who had already had a massive workload in the first two tests. So, I, I mean, I'm a bit loath to, to poo-hoo selections because many people have different views and, and I've been on the other end of it where people have said, <laughs> why have you done this? But, but this one just made no sense to me. And, and, what, and I think we were exposed. I, I think you did right, we were exposed. So what does that say to you, Smithy, about where Gary Stead is at? Because it seems a very interesting spot the New Zealand Test team is in, given their performance over the three Tests. And I say that from the get-go. Um, they just didn't look like the the team that we saw perhaps 12 months ago? Well, it's under pressure for the first time in a long time, um, you know, and I'm not saying they're, they're going to sack Gary Stead and I'm not saying they should either. 
Uh, but he's going to have to change and, and change his uh, philosophies because that side that he picked to, for that last test match was a straight out, as, as uh, Hess has said, an insurance batting side. It was a side that he did not want to lose with. He did not want to lose that series 3-0. He'd have been happy, I think, with a draw in that last test match. So he stacked it and stacked it thinking he'd get big, big runs in both innings. Well, it backfired. The other thing that, of course, uh, backfired on them is because uh, of the way that um, Stokes and McCullum um, and, and Bearstow had decided within their group to go about it, uh, they were going to win or lose very quickly, which meant the, the possibility of having a second new Duke ball was going out the window because they scored so quickly. Uh, they were scoring at four to five, five and a half and over in run chase situations where you're never going to get a second new ball. So you've got one chance if you're a new ball attack. And that effectively what, what is what they were. They had no chance. They outthought us, uh, outplayed us and outthought us. Their strategies were fantastic. Look, I, I know I said to Baz before that test match started, um, he had no idea what the New Zealand side was. The morning of the test, I said, I said to him basically, um, gee, um, they're a bit scared of your bowling. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I've, I've picked uh, eight batsmen effectively with Bracewell at eight. He said, how the hell are they going to get us out twice? He basically said that. How are they going to get us out twice? Prove the case. So there you go. So um, they're going to have to change. They have to rethink this whole strategy about how they're playing the game at the moment. I'm not saying they have to play it at breakneck speed, but they have to pick a better balanced side. We have to start playing spinners at home. We have to start encouraging all the all-round aspects of the game. Otherwise, every time we go away, we will be under the pump. Sure, we might win some at home, but we won't win many away. Let's take a look at, at some individual performances and let's start with uh, the top order, the, the batters on this, in this series. So I look at Tom Latham and, you know, we, we know how prolific a run scorer he is, particularly at home, um, but his scores over there were 1-14, 26-4 and a duck and 76. How did you rate him uh, this series, Hess? Look, he was going to be such a crucial player heading into the series uh, in order to try and blunt the likes of Broad and Anderson. And, and for the first time in a long time, you know, Tom Latham didn't have a great series. And, uh, you know, you, you can allow that from time to time and he'll be as disappointed as anybody. But um, he looked a little bit indecisive. You know, he, he got out um, outside the off stump playing too wide and he, and he got out leaving um, and getting his castle knocked over. So in terms of he's so good when the bowlers bowl over the wicket in terms of knowing where his off stump is. But once again, Brendan knows all that, um, as do the opposition now around the world. And pretty much they're always going to come around the wicket to him with a new ball. And if bowlers have the ability to bring it in and shape it away, it's a challenge for any opening batsman in test cricket. Uh, and, you know, Tom Latham certainly found that. So he's going to have to um, just have a, re, a, re, a reset um, in terms of how he goes about things. Like I said, he's had such a, a prolific three years in, in test cricket. Um, he obviously had the captaincy at, at times. And I thought he, he did a good job, um, you know, when he takes over that role. But, uh, yeah, he's probably going to have his first challenge where he's, he's under the pump a little bit um, because New Zealand actually expect him to average 40 uh, because he's done it for the last three seasons. So, um, yeah, like I said, around the wicket is his challenge and he's going to have to do some work there. 
Okay, so we talk about one bad series uh, for Tom Latham. Then we've got the rest of the batting order that we need to talk about. So you've got Will Young, who got one and one in that first test. Then he redeemed himself 47-56 and then 20-8 and eight in that uh, last test match. Kane Williamson, um, he's still not looking quite right with 2-15 and 15 and 31-48. and 48. And then Devin Conway, we're not used to seeing numbers like 3-13 and 13 and 26-11 and 11 next to his name. Do you still feel, Smithy, that it is time to make a change with that batting order and perhaps go back to Conway in the opening position? Yeah, well, um, how bad would it have been without Mitchell and Blundell? I mean, and that's the thing. Uh, and we can't just uh, look at those two unbelievably good performances and say it was just, bad, just a bad one for the others. So, you know, we'll put up with that. We have to think very seriously about this. Are we got people batting in the right positions? Are they comfortable in the jobs that they're doing? Um, is it worth a swap? Uh, you know, uh, we, we can't afford um, any more, as we've just talked about, to have that many batsmen. So someone has to go. And who's the one that's going to go out of there? Probably it will be Will Young, um, because uh, Nichols' record to this point is better than Young's over a period of time. So he'd probably get the first crack at it. I, I don't, uh, And that's what I'm thinking they'll do. I'm not necessarily saying that's what I would do. Uh, I would like to see Young get a chance in the middle or in Test cricket because when he's when he's playing well and when he's confident, when he gets in, uh, he looks as good as anyone. He, he does look a very fine player to me. Uh, Conway goes to the back to the top. I mean, you don't have double centurions just uh, put down the number four just for a bit of protection or whatever. You just can't do that. You've got to bat him in the best place because true opening batsmen love batting first. That's the, it's their gig. It's what they want to do. You're not. They don't want to be sheltered. They don't want to sit watching they want to be out there uh, against that new ball if a bowler has a shaky start if a bowler can't settle first an opening batsman loves that he loves that opportunity to put pressure on that's the nature of that job put Conway back at the top and his numbers for me will improve and because his numbers will improve Latham's will improve with it uh, and w Williamson's the big worry for me how much cricket is Kane Williamson going to play we cannot anymore say steady the ship Kane we've just got to keep saying now are you available Kane uh, and if you are, uh, captaincy is an interesting one for me. Um, you know, Latham, um, I, I think, is quite a natural leader. Um, Kane Williamson, I, I think, got the job um, because he was our, our best player and a very popular player. And he's done some good things over the years. But I'm not quite sure captaincy is his thing right here and now in the space that he's playing in. So there's a number of uh, quite curly ones that, um, that they need to look at. Uh, and as I say, it could have been a hell of a lot worse without Daryl Mitchell, who should now be a fixture in the side, Laura, uh, who shouldn't ever be under pressure for the next year or two about his place in the side. And he just bats at five for me and it's and Blundell at six. And then we've got finally got a balance at five and six uh, that we need to play around with. And, and it's it's a bonus, you know. I mean, incredible. I mean, the, the, the best batsman uh, in, in that series were uh, Bearstow and Root, and, uh, of course, uh, they were Blundell and Mitchell and uh, middle-order players. You're exactly right. Blundell and Mitchell putting on 724 runs in that series. Um, so you, I, I totally agree with you. I think Mitchell is now... He's one of the third or fourth names that you obviously just absolutely is in that test team going forward. What are your thoughts on that, Hess? Are you worried about Kane Williamson as well? Oh, look, he's, he's obviously not scoring the, the high volume of runs he wants because he just hasn't had the consistency of cricket. So I'm not worried if he gets that consistency of cricket and goes and plays the way we know he can. The, the challenge is him doing that 
and obviously uh, there's been injuries. I mean, COVID, you can't do much about that. That's a bit of an aberration. But in terms of his, his ongoing injuries, um, you know, the decision over whether uh, when you are in and out of the side a little bit with injuries, um, you know, coming straight back in and captaining the side, um, he's obviously done it for a long time. He's done a fine job. Uh, it's just whether relieving him of some of that pressure will alleviate and actually just get, allow him to focus on his batting. Um, I mean, unless you're in that environment, it's hard to tell, but I would think it's time uh, for him just to just to concentrate on his batting for a bit and actually enjoy the game. He can still captain the other two forms of the game. Um, you know, he's he's still our prime batsman, uh, and that won't change. Mitchell at five, and, and I completely agree. I just think it's a battle between Young and Henry Nichols um, for that number four slot. And I think that's a nice position to be in. Um, your other three are well settled. Uh, Conway, Latham and, and Williamson, and that's the way it was you know, when we won the Test Championship. So I don't think we need to change that. I said five and six is great. And then it's nice to see a battle. Um, Will Young in, in his rightful spot, I think in the middle order where he's played all his cricket. Um, and Henry Nichols, whether he gets the first crack or not, he probably deserves that. But it's nice to have some, some genuine competition. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to see Williamson on the park for a you know consistency of matches as I'm sure he would. Uh, Smithy, I'd love your take on Tom Blunder. We talked a lot about his batting. I mean, th this is a young man who spent a lot of time around this Test team. He's waited every time he was given an opportunity, no matter what position, he always seemed to step up. I know you uh, recall the MCG that hundred there was one of the one of the great sporting moments. I think, especially if you've met Tom, he's just a lovely, gentle soul. So it was great to see him take his opportunity there, and he continues to to thrive in the batting. But in terms of the keeping, how did you rate his performance? Because that second Test particularly looked a horrible place to keep wicket? It's not easy, England. I'll give him that uh, because the ball tends to swing a lot uh, after it goes past the bat. I mean, quite often you think, if you're looking down the from the bowling aspect side of things, the way we look at uh, cricket these days on our television, sometimes you think that the batsman's nicked the ball because the movement is so prodigious after it goes past the bat. You think, well, he's out. He's gone. Uh, but it's not the case. It happens in England. It's quite a, a rare thing. So it can catch you out if you haven't done it for a long period of time. Uh, and that will, uh, and it will, and it, he's, he, I don't think his glove work is, is perfect. I, I think it's, uh, it's adequate, um, you know, and he catches and, and does the rest at a relatively high ratio, but he has to be better, um, and he has to continue to work on that, and the danger for me is because he's been so good at batting, that becomes his primary focus. It shouldn't. Uh, because uh, we all know you've got to get 20 wickets to win a game, and a wicket keeper is going to be a massive part of that. Also, he's going to grow in his role as, um, you know, he probably hasn't got a lot of confidence at the moment, but he needs to be um, a, a consultation point too for captains, for bowlers. So he's got to increase his role. Now that he's now set in the side, I mean, you, you've got to say that he's set in the side, he's got to increase his role, and by doing that, he'll play better, I feel. Uh, but the glove work can't be, um, it cannot be exaggerated enough. He gets a pretty easy run because we don't play spinners. And the, the spinners we play are part-timers and they don't create many chances or go past the bat very often. So he, you know, he, he had a pretty easy ride in that respect. Subcontinent's going to be another challenge for his glove work. Uh, but at the moment, pretty happy uh, with his contribution in that series uh, because of, of the way he batted in particular. Like, he's a good test player. He really is. Uh, BJ Watling was always going to be hard to replace. Well, we, we know we're going to get BJ Watling's runs, so we just need a little bit more effectiveness with the gloves.
Another contribution worth mentioning, Trent Bolt with his 16 wickets coming straight off the back of IPL. Now, I think back to 12 months ago, and the three of us were having a conversation about Trent Bolt coming straight off the back of IPL and actually missing the two test matches in the build-up to the World Test Championship over in England. Um, and uh, he did an amazing job. This is a guy, an athlete, who clearly knows his body, what he needs to be at his best on the park. How do you rate his performance, Hes? Yeah, look, I mean, I spoke to Trent before he left the IPL. Um, and his focus was always playing that first test at Lords. And I think that's probably the first thing that as a coach and captain that you want to hear. You know, you want to hear that, that your, your primary bowler um, is the guy who he actually wants to play. He, sure, he wants to do his job at the IPL and get that done, but he's happy to turn up, have a couple of days training. Um, he would have put the work in uh, in the heat in Mumbai uh, when he could. But he wanted to be there. He wanted to make a difference. And he certainly showed that from the first test. His pace was up. He was able to sustain his pace. He swung the ball. Um, you know, he was fully engaged. Uh, even with the bat, he scored some valuable runs and showed that he has, you know, he has actually improved in some, some areas there. And I think moving up to number eight um, in franchise cricket has actually made him, you know, put a little bit more work in that area. Um, obviously, the highest scoring number 11, which I know he's incredibly proud of. But the fact that he led that attack, um, no warm-up games, was able to just turn up, um, still be the most threatening bowler um, on day one and day five, I just think he ran out of steam. And, and I don't think that had anything to do with his preparation. It just had to do with the workload that, that we've already alluded to earlier on the show. So um, I thought he was exceptional uh, with new and old ball. Let's talk about England. Uh, ben Stokes, first series as captain, first series win. He was dominant, he was decisive, and he was fantastic with the bat as well. Um, I said it when the series first started, the most dangerous thing Brendan McCullum can do is make a player believe in himself, and he certainly did that with most of the English cricketers, it felt like to me, Smithy. Yeah, look, uh, all, all the articles that have come out of this series, when individuals have been interviewed, they've all said exactly the same thing, the attitude. Uh, the, the attitude has changed in the dressing room. The confidence, the belief that they've been given by those people around them has transformed them into different kinds of cricketers. Jimmy Anderson saying he, he's never been in a situation. How many tests has Jimmy Anderson played? How many wickets has he got? He's been one of the world's great. But all of a sudden, he finds himself in a, an environment he never thought he'd experienced. Stuart Broad, the same. Uh, Johnny Bairstow, obviously, it's lit a fuse for, for Johnny Bairstow. It's about belief. It's about confidence. It's about going forward. Every day you turn up to the ground, you've got a chance of doing something really well, uh, making a name for yourself and contributing. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is not to over-respect the opposition quite clearly. That was a factor there. Uh, they had no um, fear of how they were going to play because they weren't scared of losing. Uh, you know, and that, that's the attitude. And here we find um, New Zealand have been walloped 3-0 and probably one of the most unlikely run chases of the lot could be the Indian one. Um, you know, I, I know we're doing this show before uh, the Indian test match is complete, but uh, it's on track to end up, up the same way, isn't it? And, and that is the same pattern. I mean, the first thing I'd perhaps look at doing is not letting England chase on the last day just to change the pattern <laughs> of cricket that they're playing and see if they've got another way of going about it. But it's all about attitude and belief at top-level sport, and he has, Brendan has injected that and Stokes has injected that as well. And Stokes, I think, has uh, played an admirable part in the series uh, against us. He's been consistent. He's a hard guy to dislodge. He knows he values his wicket very, very highly, and that demonstrates to those players around him that they should as well.
Very good. Very good, England. The ECB are absolutely... Rob Key, they're high-fiving, they're buying each other drinks. I'm thinking that this is the best thing we have. We're geniuses. We're absolute geniuses. Um, here's for you, if I throw a couple of England names at you, Johnny Bairstow, Joe Root, Matthew Potts, um, with his 14 wickets in that series. He's an exciting young prospect. Who was, who was the one who stood out the most for you in this series from England's perspective? Look, Johnny Bairstow, for me, um, in terms of the way he's he's transformed uh, the way he plays. And I, I had a good chat with Johnny um, before he left the IPL, um, just after Brendan was appointed, actually. And he was sort of probing me a little bit around what sort of style, um, you know, will Brendan bring. Um, he was actually worried about getting picked. And that, that probably showed um, part of that insecurity that, that a lot of the Test players have had. I mean, he came off a good series against the West Indies where he scored 100. Uh, but he was worried about, um, you know, do I fit into the mould? Am I going to get picked? You know, what's Brendan like? And, and the one thing I said is, I said he's very loyal um, and he will give you pretty clear direction around the way he wants you to play. And it, it's pretty apparent that uh, Brendan and Ben Stokes um, said to Johnny, we want you to play in this aggressive fashion. Uh, and it would also be fair to say that he's certainly embraced that um, and excelled. Uh, and he's taken it to a new level, not just against us, but uh, obviously against India in, in this current series as well. So it just shows um, what a bit of belief and a bit of confidence and a bit of backing does to any player. Uh, and we've seen Johnny in white ball cricket, how devastating he has been. And the fact that he's now got a support staff, a coach and a captain who is giving him the confidence to go and play. And I can guarantee you that, that Brendan will give him rope to do so as well in terms of if you're trying to play the right way and it doesn't work, that's okay. We'll continue to back you um, rather than playing for your, for your life in terms of, you know, am I playing the next series? Am I trying to get a score? It's a horrible place to be and it's certainly nothing like that in the English dressing room at the moment. So Matthew Potts has come in. Um, ben Stokes, you know, said to Brendan, you, you'll love this guy um, in terms of the character that, that he has um, and he does. You know, he's got that, just give me the ball, I'm going to run in. Um, you know, he, he's he's more than just a an English seamer. He's got a, a big heart. He bowls, can bowl high 80s, uh, 80 miles an hour. Um, and he always moves the ball, which is a, a great trait to have when you're bowling behind the likes of Anderson and Broad and you're never going to get the new ball. So he was really impressive. And, and Joe Root just showed how free he can be when he doesn't have to be captain. So uh, that's probably a good learning as well. But uh, all in all, Johnny Bestow for me has just, he's transformed that English lineup. Um, and him and Ben Stokes at five and six is just a huge counterpunch. You guys gave me grief last week because you said I drank the Kool-Aid a bit too quickly there when Brendan took over and how much they dominate. But I tell you what, <laughs> you boys sound like you're drinking it now too. Baz is on to something here and that England side is... <laughs> they're, on, they're on the way up, there's no doubt. There is now the New Zealand White Ball Tour of uh, Europe. Uh, we start off in Ireland, three ODIs, three T20s, then Scotland and the Netherlands. Um, it's a big opportunity for a lot of young players. Smithy, how do you feel, um, just given how long you've been involved in cricket, when players take series off? So obviously I can understand some of the, some of the test boys getting a break, particularly the bowlers, um, big workloads in those tests. But for the likes mm. of a Kane Williamson, who, if his elbow is all OK, which by all accounts it is, wouldn't a series like this be a good next step for him just to get some more cricket under his belt when we do have, to remember, there is a T20 World Cup at the end of the year? 
Yeah, I think it's a fair point, Laura. Um, and uh, I think it'll be a relatively cool day and hell the day you could drink Kool-Aid just by the via as well. But um, <laughs> moving on from that, I I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think you, I would imagine they went to Kane and said, look, um, would you like to play one of these two uh, particular series? Because, you know, you want you might want to get in form. We do have the T20 World Cup coming up. I would say, I'd imagine he said, no, I've got an... Uh, second baby, I, I want to get home. That's the, where I want to be. Same with uh, two or three of the other senior players. I particularly, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of resting players uh, when playing international sport at any level, to be fair. But if there is a time that you want to rest and rejuvenate some of your key players, these two tours are that particular time. There's enough experience uh, within that group that they shouldn't get embarrassed in these matches. Uh, and there's enough promise in this group and enough uh, enough questions to be asked in this group, and I think this is the perfect occasion. And New Zealand cricket have just announced a very busy home season. They've got a lot of cricket coming up. There's a lot on the plate in the next uh, seven to eight months for these guys. I think if there ever was a time uh, to uh, to rest, uh, to rotate, and to experiment and find things out, this is it. And uh, I'm quite pleased about some of the selections uh, going forward, Laura, to be honest. I'm not saying we're going to go through unbeaten. I think there'll be a surprise result or two along the way. There will be a hiccup or two, and they might get lambasted for it, but I'm not going to because I think this is, this is the time to develop right now. The players for you to watch in this series, Hiss? Uh, Finn Allen, for one. I think he's, uh, he's an exciting talent. He's been on the sideline for a, a large period of time, played for a number of teams around the world. He now needs to get a reasonable opportunity to for me, pushes case for the T20 World Cup. And I think that he's that potential X factor at the top of the order. He, he plays fearlessly. He could actually complement Martin Guptill over there in terms of attacking the power play. Uh, I thought Daryl Mitchell did a, a really good job in the UAE, but he did most of his good work towards the back end of the innings. Um, and I think that's where he's most suited in that in that 5-6 role again. Um, and, and I think, you know, Finn Allen can win you a game in the power play or pretty close to it. And there's very few players around the world that can do that. Um, so it'd be nice to see him. Uh, ben Sears is another genuine quick bowler um, who, you know, we want to continue to give some opportunities to, I think, and just see how robust he is, um, how he can deal with, with players that will take him on. And there are some good players in these sites. You know, we don't know a lot about them um, unless you're, you're fully involved. Uh, and I've seen them play a lot of cricket around the world, and every time they play against a, a so-called bigger nation, they stand up. And, you know, Smithy's talked about the odd surprise. Absolutely, there will be. Um, there'll be some pressure points during that series where um, players that um, even establish black caps will come under pressure. So uh, it'll be a great opportunity to see how some of those guys perform. Michael Rippon's another one. Uh, we know that he played against the Netherlands or for the Netherlands against the black caps uh, not so long ago. He's now going to be wearing the, the black cap for the first time, and he certainly earned that. Um, a wicket-taker through the middle overs, uh, can spin the ball both ways as a left-arm wrist spinner, uh, and he's also very good with the bat sort of towards, you know, closing the innings. So an exciting opportunity for him, and one that if he can grab, then once again it just adds that depth to the, the New Zealand spin bowling. Bit of a tough start for Mitchell Satner. He'll be missing the first ODI uh, due to testing positive for COVID before he flew out. Uh, so you've got Ish Sodi over there in terms of spinner. Uh, and then, as he's alluded to, rip on there, uh, Smithy. For you, how do you see the, the teams being balanced out? We don't know much about playing in Ireland. But, but what does your first up ODI team look like? Well, look, I, I think... Uh, 
it's important that they establish themselves, um, and that means you you play your your key players who are there, your, your experienced players who are going to be factors you know are going to be factors going forward, and those are the guys too that haven't had a lot of cricket of late. So, you know, uh, those those players that you you know you would expect to be in the side should be playing there, uh, you know, and and for me that's very very important. Um, you know there are there are um, I would think limited opportunities for people to force their way into the T20 side. It wasn't that long ago we had the T20 World Cup, of course, and um, we got beaten in the final. I mean we played some damn good cricket, and uh, I, I would imagine they won't go a long way away from that. But these kind of these kind of tours, um, and, and you know there, there's a lot of players in the same sort of group that that Hess has been talking about there. That um, you know uh, are, are ones to look for, look look for things in, uh, look for the way they handle touring situations, look for the way they handle pressure, um, you know, look, look for the way that, that they uh, are behaving as professionals as such. You look for those kind of clues behind the scenes as well. Um, and you know, I, I totally concur about Mitchell. Mitchell is a closer. Mitchell is a, a closer along the lines that Grant Elliott was. Because they think and they think and they've got more time. They know they've got more time than people actually believe that they have. They're the kind of cool heads that you need. So I look for the, those are the kind of signs I look. People that start innings in a very positive way and close the deal as well. Because when it comes to the big match situations, they're the blokes you need. First ODI gets underway uh, July 10th, I think about 9.30 New Zealand time. Uh, other matches happening around the world, Australia taking on Sri Lanka and Sri Lanka. Australia dominated that first test match, I think it would be fair to say, uh, winning by 10 wickets. Hess, were you surprised? We often talk about Sri Lanka and you expect more and they've had that growth period, but they're not making uh, fast enough gains really at international cricket at the moment, it would appear. Well, I guess if you compare it with the last time Australia were there, Australia got strangled. So they could hardly score um, against the likes of Harath. You know, they were scoring less than two and over throughout that series. So the fact Australia have come out in the first test, scored it over four and a half and over, showed a complete change in intent. And definitely the quality of the spinners for Sri Lanka is not what it was with the likes of Harath there. But the intent, the likes of Cameron Green, the way he's come out and played, um, Usman Khawaja, considering the last time he was there, he just kept get, getting hit on that front pad. Um, you know, he's made some huge changes in terms of his sweeping game, in terms of his ability to, to apply pressure back on the bowlers. And that was a massive shift for me. Um, you know, scoring at that rate in Sri Lanka in the first innings of a game changes it. And the fact you got over 300 gives you a chance to win the test match. And the other part is Nathan Lyon. Um, you know, he's talked about, um, he talked about bowling ugly. And there's a, there's a big difference in Australia where you, you get shape on the ball and you want the ball to go up and, and drift and turn. Whereas in Sri Lanka, you want to change your pace, you want to bowl fast into the wicket, some turn, some don't. And that's what he's become good at. You know, from the, the time he first went over there and he got dropped because he tried to bowl the same way to the bowler he is now, huge shifts. And I know Dan Vittori's over there and I'm sure he'll play a part in terms of continuing that development even further. Um, but I think just listening to him talk and saying, I'm learning how to bowl ugly better is exactly how you have to bowl on the subcontinent. So I think Australia will be hard to beat in the rest of that series just because of the gains they've made. Smithy, Usman Khawaja, his comeback story is one of the best cricketing comeback stories I reckon I've ever seen. He's unstoppable at the moment. Yeah, he is. He is unstoppable because he's a fine player in, in most conditions these days. Of course, that brilliant comeback that he had in Australia, 
the forgers weigh in and say, you cannot leave me out because my numbers are too good. Um, and, and now, of course, he, he goes to the subcontinent and he's comfortable playing there all of a sudden. So he's been a revelation. Uh, but for me, the, uh, the player that has given them the balance is Cameron Green. Now, Cameron Green was man of the match in that last test match. Uh, he scored 77, didn't bowl the ball. Uh, but what what is uh, the en- encouraging thing from that point of view? From the moment he has come into that side, he has looked like he belongs at that level. Uh, and he's tall. He can do all aspects of the game. He's a terrific gully fieldsman. He just looks like a Baggy Green's been sitting on his head for a long, long time. And that has added to the fact that uh, Australia have become a much more complete side. They're not guessing about that slot anymore. Um, and, and to be fair, they haven't lost a test match in this uh, cycle of the World Test Championship. Uh, and, and, you know, they're pretty determined. I, I think they've got a little bit hard done by that. At least didn't get a crack at the last one for various reasons. But they will be in this one. And they'll be a, hard, a really hard nut to crack and, and to stop them being the World Test Champion this time around. Nathan Lyon, you thought he was a complete package. You thought they, they call him the GOAT because he's so great. Uh, the best off spinner they've ever had. But now you add in Daniel Vittori's experience, Daniel Vittori's nous, a little bit of extra flair, a little bit of difference just from uh, Vittori coming in there. Why isn't he coaching our spinners? Um, that's the way I'm going to finish tonight, I'm afraid. I've just got to... <laughs> oh, Smithy, that's tough. It is It is tough. Boys, I want to thank you so well, why much. Isn't he? Why isn't he? I don't know. I don't know. Yes, why isn't he? That, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I can't answer that. Let's leave it with Smithy. I, I mean, it's a fair point. And, you know, I'm sure New Zealand cricket have asked, but, um, uh, or oh, maybe they haven't. I don't know. Well, could you ask? Would Pro- you mind? Probably a question that we should probably, I'll, I'll ask. I'll Make a call, would you? I'll, I'll, flick, I'll flick down a message. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he was working for Bangladesh. He's worked for Sri Lanka. <laughs> so he's certainly been on the market. So I'm not sure whether it's not New a Zealand surprise. need a spin bowling coach at the moment if they didn't bowl one in the last test. Um, at Headingley, so it's actually a very. I'm, I'm pretty sure if Dan was there, they might uh, they might have picked him. <laughs> My yeah, he'd be unemployed. You're right. Yes, you did right. He'd be unemployed anyway. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your thoughts and insights tonight. We'll be back very soon with another episode of Smith and Hess, and we'll see you next time.